also I sent out a text saying that I was going to go all the way to verse 20, from 14 to verse 20, but I lied. Well, I didn't really lie. I just, as I got to studying it, I saw that it, there was so much in there. It was just so rich that I just couldn't blow through these verses because it's Jesus's message. It's, G, it's what Jesus is saying. It's who Jesus is and uh, why he came. And it's all wrapped up in these two verses. So in verse 14, we'll begin there. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God or preaching the good news of God or preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled or the time has come. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news, or some of your versions say gospel. So here we have the, the text here. We have the preacher, if you will, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of glory, and he's bringing a message. And he wants us to understand the message. He wants us to hear the message. He wants us to get the message. One of the most important messages of the Bible. Matter of fact, I would argue, and I'm going to argue later, that it is the message of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the preacher is bringing the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. That we can have peace with God, the restoration of all things. He is going to flip the world on his head. On its head. He's going to flip it upside down. This is what Jesus does. The one that left glory, he left heaven, he left perfection, he left everything to come down and become a man and restore us and give us peace with God and restore us back into a relationship with God the Father. Now, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. It is the greatest news. It is the greatest news. Now, before I unpack that a little bit, I want to look. It said, after John was arrested, Jesus went in to Galilee. Now, when we read things like this, we have to ask questions like, what do you mean after John was arrested? So we back up, we look through the scriptures, and we see that Jesus was busy. He was busy about many different things. He didn't leave the, the temptation in the wilderness and, and then go up to Galilee. He waited. John was arrested, and then he went up to Galilee. It's interesting it goes on, John says this, he says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John sees Jesus coming. This is after the baptism, after the temptation, he sees John coming and he says, behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he goes on to say that, that this man has existed before me. Jesus has existed before me. Remember, John and Jesus are cousins, and John is six months older than Jesus. So what's that mean? It means that John has the right perspective of who Jesus is. Jesus is God, and John recognizes it. And John even brings it down to a, to a, to a better area. He's, he's the Passover lamb, the lamb of God. John is, is speaking so much theology there. He's saying, here comes Jesus, the lamb of God. The, the picture of the Old Testament Passover is Jesus. And so he says, he's existed before me. And he goes on to say, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of 
God. And the next day, again, he saw Jesus passing by, and he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, you know who was standing there? Andrew was standing there. And Andrew heard him say this. And so Andrew grabs his brother and says, guess what? We found the Christ. And so Peter goes, and then all of a sudden you have all these other stories in the Bible, and, and I'm not going to go into all of them. But Peter, uh, interesting, a Andrew is automatically an evangelist. He says, the Messiah has come. The good news is here. The gospel is here. The time is fulfilled. And he goes and he grabs him and he brings him back. And he says, meet him. And then they ask where he's going. And you guys know the story. He followed him. And then a little bit later, John is arguing with the, with the uh, John's disciples are arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And um, John says this, he says, no one can receive anything unless it's been given from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. And he goes on to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then in John 3, after the story of Nicodemus, it said, after this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside and spent time there and baptized and so all this was going on. So when we look at that uh, first part of verse 14, it says, after John was arrested, this, all this happened before John was arrested. And so we see this happening. We see, we see Jesus, and he's beginning to, to hang out with people, and he's beginning to be where the action is, and the, where John is baptizing people for repentance, and now Jesus is baptizing with his disciples. That's pretty awesome. And so that is the, the part of the story where we take it up right here. And then it says this. It says, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news that the time has been fulfilled. What does that mean? What does it mean that the time has been fulfilled? The time that Jesus has, uh, that God the Father has promised in his love letter to you and me in the scriptures, that promise that Jesus would come on the scene, that God would send a Messiah. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when they sinned and the curse entered into the world and, they, and God said, you know what, uh, now you're going to die. By the way, guess what, 100%, uh, there's a statistic, 100% of everybody in this room is going to die, okay, because of their sin. And God promised to send the Messiah all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Matter of fact, if you even look when they got kicked out of the garden, what, is, what does God do? He, I believe, takes two lambs. He kills, first time death ever entered the world. He kills the two lambs and he clothes Adam and Eve and sends them out of the garden. With blood, with, with, with death, with, if you will, a sacrifice. And so everything is pointing from Genesis to this point when Jesus walks on the, on the scene. And he says, guys, the time is fulfilled. The Messiah that God has promised throughout the scriptures, that Messiah has now stepped out of heaven, if you will, and stepped onto the scene. Now we know he did that when he was a baby, but, but track with me. Here is the promise and God, and he's coming because of the curse. And, and, and Adam and Eve were separated with, from walking with God. They were separated from the presence of God. And they were separated from the fellowship of God. And Jesus is coming to restore all that. And so if you don't know Jesus this morning, you've been separated from the fellowship of God and the presence of God and the grace of God and the greatness of God. Now it rains on the just and the unjust. But when you come to Jesus, the Messiah... And you begin to have a relationship with him. That fellowship, that presence, 
that, that walking with God, if you will, in the cool of the day in the garden, comes back into your life. The curse is reversed. The curse is reversed. And so that's what Jesus is saying here when he says the time has been fulfilled. And so it's, it's, it's really awesome. And, and he's saying, look, I got some good news. There's, a, there's good news that you and I, if you believe in me, you can live forever. And it's interesting. I, I didn't tell Jordan to read that scripture this morning. He just read it. Death, where is your sting? Where is your sting? Where's the curse? The time has been fulfilled from the garden to the cross. Everything pointing to this moment in time. Jesus. And like I said, the whole New Testament, I mean Old Testament, speaks of the redemption of mankind and his relentless pursuit of his creation to restore all things and to give us new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. Do you remember when Jesus said this? He's talking to the Pharisees. And they're, and, and they're blasting him, and he says, he goes, you know what, you search the scriptures, thinking that you will have eternal life, but these are those that speak of me. That's what Jesus said. Look, you might search the scriptures to find eternal life, but eternal life is standing right here in your midst. I am here, Jesus is saying. He said, the time is fulfilled. I am here for all that want me, for all that want to be restored. All that want to have all things made new in their lives. I love it. Um, I love what it says in Luke. And here's the crazy part, right? He says something. He's walking on the, the road to Emmaus. Jesus is. He's hanging out with these two guys. They don't recognize him. Jesus all of a sudden meets them on the road. There's two guys. They're on the way to Emmaus. Jesus has just been crucified. He's just been resurrected. And now they don't recognize him. He's got blinders on their eyes. And all of a sudden, Jesus says something to them, and they still don't recognize him. He says, foolish, how foolish are you? And slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. How foolish are you? These are good Jewish boys. They've been studying the Bible since they, they could walk, okay? They knew the Bible. They knew the, their Old Testament. Every kid did. And, and, and so he goes this. He says, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses is the five books of the Pentateuch, you know, uh, uh, the first five books of, of the Bible. And all, all the prophets, every single one of them, the, 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 the minor pro prophets, the major prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, all of them. He says, and all the prophets, he interpreted for them concerning himself all the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, he says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must have must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said this, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Look, Foolish are those that don't get this. The Bible says only a fool says there's no God. And yet here Jesus says, look, believers, if you don't understand, that's why I love the whole counsel of God. You can see, you know, and I, 
I, I told my church, uh, last church I planted, I said, hey, we're going to go through Leviticus. And you could almost hear it in the room. You know? Leviticus is one of the most fascinating books because every sacrifice, every feast, everything, every page, you can't turn a page without seeing Jesus on it. And, and by the end of it, people said, wow, that was the best, the best book we've ever studied because God is glorified. Jesus is on every single page. It's all about him. That's the cool thing about the scriptures. And so when he says the time is fulfilled, he's saying, look, I'm coming onto the scene. And this time, everything that everybody's talked about is now here. And then he goes on to say this in verse, um, uh, yeah, where am I? There we are, 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. What does that mean? The kingdom of God has come near. Here, Jesus is talking about a new kingdom. Everything had been written up to this point has been about him. The time has been fulfilled. But now he brings in this new dynamic. He says, kingdom. So what is this kingdom? What is a kingdom, right? A kingdom is a territory, right? Ruled by a king. A kingdom is somewhere that has a king that has subjects or has servants or has people under him that he speaks to and he directs and they obey him and they respect him and they give him honor and glory and he has the power, right? And so now, all of a sudden, the kingdom of God, this kingdom, we need to stop and we need to look, we got, what does this mean? It's, it's, it has to be important. It's in the Bible, right? What is the kingdom of God? It is the absolute rule of a king in your life. The absolute reign of a king in your life. And so what Jesus is saying here, he says, now the kingdom of God is here. It's a kingdom that will be ruled by God's appointed Messiah. Not just the redeemer of his people, but the king. And the kingdom of God was near because the king of the kingdom was there. You know, I love, I love this verse because I love to see the kingdom of God in action in every single person sitting in this room. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you surrender your will, when you stop worshiping the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, and worship the real trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, something significant takes place in your life. God's kingdom on heaven and earth begins to rule and reign in your life. This is one of the, the coolest things in all of scripture because the kingdom of God is come near in the person of Jesus Christ. And now he is calling his people, his church, and he's saying, look, repent and believe in the gospel and become part of my kingdom. You cannot be a part of the kingdom without being part of the king. My friends, it just doesn't work that way. If you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to have both feet in the kingdom. But here's the problem. We're always fighting and scratching and claw, trying to claw our way to the top, aren't we? I mean, you know, it's like life's a roller coaster. You know, we, we, if we just have a little more money, if we just have a little more power, if I get that new job, if I get another position and we're working our way up in the kingdom of the world, but we're not of this world. We're of another kingdom. 
And we work and we work and we slave and we slave. And, 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 and Jesus, you know what? I don't have time for you. I don't have time for your kingdom and your glory and your honor and your power. I have time for my kingdom, my honor, my glory, my power. And what happens is, is we miss out on being part of the glorious kingdom of God. And my prayer for you is that you wouldn't miss out on it. I mean, we're on the stairway to heaven, you know, set your mind on things above and not on this earth. And we're walking up the ladder. But some of us have one foot on the ladder and one foot on the earth. And sometimes we step back a couple of rings. Sometimes we make it up the third ring, but then we climb back down. And we're standing back in the earth again. But the kingdom of God, if you want to experience all that God has for you, you must not just make him your savior. You must make him your king. And so the kingdom of God is drawn near. And I love that. The reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our marriages, in our schools, in our churches, and even our checkbooks. To make our job as a church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. To make Jesus a reality in people's life that are far from him. That is our goal. As believers, when Christ saved you, he, he says, look, you're my servant, you're my friend, you're my brother, you're my child, you're all those things. But yes, you're still a servant in the kingdom. And he says, look, come with me and experience it. And God has so much more for you and he has so much more for me when we make him king. And I just love it, man, in my own life, right? So I was living for myself um, one of my buddies is here. He actually produced my first two heavy metal albums. Did I say that out loud? And we had decades of decadence together. I mean, I don't know what, any other way to say it. And we were partying and living the life. And, and, and he was in one band and I was in the other. And he had this recording studio uh, up on the Central Coast. And we would come up from L.A. and we'd record. And we, we produced an album. And, and we would be in his studio. And we would just be partying and just living for ourselves. And, and it was all about us. And all about, well, you know, I don't, have to, I don't want to get into detail. I don't. PG, right? Living for ourselves. And the interesting thing is, is he gets saved and I get saved. And now you wouldn't even recognize me. I mean, people would walk on the other side of the street from me. Because I was so bad in my hometown where I grew up. Because I was just off the rails. And this morning, my brother, Ed, he's sitting up there running the sound this morning, visiting me. And um, he's, got a, he's got a beautiful business in Missouri, Branson, Missouri. And he, he does sound. He actually gave us all the sound equipment at cost. Um, and so it, just a huge blessing, right? But here's the thing that got me. You want to know the kingdom? He comes outside and he says, I'm going to pray for you. He lays his hand on me and he prays for me for minutes. And, I'm, and I get tears in my eyes and I'm thinking to myself, God, you are so cool. Here's the kingdom of God manifesting itself from two knuckleheads that all they did is want to please themselves for years. You know, we were, what do you got? And we do it a lot. We didn't care, right? I mean, that's the kind of people we were. We live for ourselves. Yet here's the kingdom of God being manifest in two human beings. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's reversed the curse in our life. He's reversed the rebellion and, and, the, and the shaking our fist at God and living for ourselves. He's reversed that. And he's given us life. And he's given us walking in the cool of the day with God and his presence and his fellowship and his communion. 
And I love being a servant of the king. Now, I have another friend. I worked for him in uh, 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 San Diego. He had a church of like 9,000 people. He had two doctorate degrees. And you would never know it meeting him. But here's his story. In the 60s, the late 60s, early 70s, he was frying on acid. And the drug dealers put a bag over his head and fired a weapon next to his head. And he thought they had blown part of his head off. And so he walked around. He was married at the time. He walked out on his wife, and he was, he was homeless, living on the street. The doctors told his wife that he would never be normal again. He would never have full faculties of his mind, ever. He was a waste. He was gone. He was an outcast. He was living on the street, divorced for three years, two and a half years at this time. He wanders into Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and hears Chuck Smith preaching, and he falls on his face. He gives his life to Jesus Christ, and he stands up, and he's got his full faculties. Now, you tell me how that happens. It is the kingdom of God being manifested in that man's life. And here's the cool part of the story. They've been divorced two and a half, three years. Three years, he walks back into his kid's life, and his wife just sits there and watches him. And he's loving on all his kids. And, he's, and, he, and now he has a job as an intern at the church. And he's loving his kids. And his wife says, you know what? I want what you have. What, what, what happened? And he got to share Jesus with her. She gives her life to Christ. And I think they've been married like 44 years now. That is what I'm talking about. When you are wondering what the kingdom of God is. It's Jesus Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The power of God. He is among us. And he comes into life and he rebuilds and he reshapes and he reverses the curse and he flips the whole thing upside down. That's my Jesus. He did it with me, he did it with Ed, and he did it with Mike. And he can do it with every one of you no matter what you're going through right now. When you surrender, God is in the business of interrupting lives. Amen? And I'm grateful he's an interrupter. I'm grateful. Now, when we come to Christ, his glory is now among us and his spiritual power is in us. And if you only get to experience the kingdom of God here, you get to experience abundant life. But it gets better. In the reversal of the curse, and, and this will be, be on the uh, screens as well, in Revelation 21, if you'll read along with me, Revelation 21, it says this. Then and It'll be on the screens or you can turn your Bibles. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is just like the garden walking in the cool of the day with us. And, 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 the, and the, the coolest thing, death will be no more. No grief, no crying and pain will be no more because of the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I, make, I am making everything new or I make all things new. And he also said, write these words because they are faithful and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
And if you read on in Revelation, Jesus has a banqueting table where he invites all of us to that table and we get to eat with him and he serves us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. I, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling if you think about it. It's mind-boggling that the King of kings and the Lord of glory, even if you're a sinner right, in, in, in some kind of sin right now, if you've confessed Jesus, you've been regenerated, he wants to pull you out of that. He wants to, make, he wants to be king in your life, but you're going to be at this banqueting table. I, I think about my wretched life, and I'm like, Lord, really? You're going to invite me to this? And then in Revelation 21, it says this, Then, I, then he showed me a river of water clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb, down the middle of the main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing it every month. The leaves were for the healing of the nations. And here's, my, here's the kicker. And there will, there will no longer be any curse. Let me, let me break that down for you. No more death, no more disease, no more divorce, no more abandonment, no more orphans, no more fatherless, no more child abuse, no more hopelessness, no more despair, no more suicide, no more rape, no more molestation, no more murder, no more cancer, no more heart attacks. Just go down the line. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. With Jesus. And when a million years goes by, we won't even be getting started. When two billion years go by, we won't even be getting started. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light or the lamp of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. And they will, check this out, and they will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of God. You and I, the saints of God, will rule and reign with Christ? Really? The importance of this, don't, don't misunderstand the good news, guys. Don't misunderstand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. It's eternal today. You search the scripture and find you might have eternal life, but it's today. Jesus is among us. This is the good news. This is the glorious news. This is what this faith thing is all about. This is why we surrender our lives to Jesus and we say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. This is why we say, you know, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else from, from heaven and on heaven and earth will be added to us. This is our Jesus, my friends. Do you know him? Do you know him? The kingdom of God is altogether different. And I, I, I got to read this quote to you because it's absolutely phenomenal. The kingdom is full of surprises. Yeah, I think it'll be on the screen too, if I'm not mistaken. The kingdom is full of surprises. Again and again in parable, sermon, and act, Jesus startles us. Things in the gospel are often literally upside down. God, good guys turn out to be bad guys. Bad guys turn out to be good guys. Those we expect to who we expect to receive the reward get a spanking instead. Those who think they are uh, headed for heaven land in hell. Things are reversed. Paradox, irony, and surprise permeate, permeates the teachings of Jesus. 
They flip our expectations upside down. The least or the greatest, the immoral receive forgiveness and blessing. Adults become like children. The religious miss the heavenly banquet. The pious receive curses, shattering our assumptions. Things aren't like we think they should be. Hmm. We're baffled and perplexed, amazed we step back. Should we laugh or should we cry again and again, turning our world upside down? The kingdom of God surprises us. When you finally give in to that 100% and, and die, do you want the devil to say, thank God they put that man in the, in the ground. He's caused the kingdom of God too much trouble. I mean, kingdom of hell too much trouble already. That's what, that, I mean, do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? The king of glory wants to rule and reign in your heart and life and mind and family and workplace and ministry and just go down, go down the list. He is madly in love with you and he doesn't want you to miss out walking with him in the cool of the day every day no matter what kind of heat or what kind of problems or what kind of circumstances what I know for sure is the closer you are to Jesus the least likely they will have any effect on your life now I've seen people walk through cancer the death of a child the death of a spouse and, and, and you wonder, why are you acting like that? Jesus, the kingdom of God is in my life. Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of glory is in my life. This is the beauty, my friends, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's two kingdoms. And we have to decide what kingdom it is we want to be a part of. One more, one more thought, and I'll end with this, I promise. You know how many times I used to say that all the time? I'll, I'll end with this, and I go another five. I'll end with this. In conclusion, no. Um, but I want to completely unpack the text, so I don't want to miss it. It says there, the kingdom has come near, repent, and believe in the gospel. There's that word again. We unpack that in great detail uh, the first uh, Sunday that we were together, but I'm going to kind of give you an overview of it. It says we need to repent, basically, and change our direction. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a change of purpose. It's a change of thinking. It's a change in relationships. It's a change in attitudes. It's a change in behaviors. It's a change on how I live for God. That is the kingdom, okay? Repent means that we stop what we're doing and we begin to make Jesus King and Lord of our lives. If there is a kingdom and you're a citizen of that kingdom, then we need to live like a citizen of the kingdom that Jesus is directing and ruling and reigning in. And so if we're not, then we repent and we turn and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on your agenda. I'm going to lay down Garrett's agenda. And I'm going to live for you. But then he says something there too. He says, and believe. And that's what changes everything, my friends. We believe. We trust God that he knows what's best for us. We trust him in our marriage. 
We trust him at our workplace. We trust him to, to, to deal with those behaviors and those attitudes and those words that, uh, and the stinking thinking that has plagued us for far too long. And we just trust. We believe. We repent. We start going a different direction and we believe. We believe because Jesus is here. And the good news is, is he's going to go to that cross and he's going to die for you and me. And he's going to raise from the dead so that we can have eternal life and live with him forever. My friends, that's the good news. That is the good news. I don't know where you're at with God right now. He knows everything. He knows what you're going through. He knows your pains, your sorrows, your sins. And he's calling you back right now. Jesus is among us. And his spiritual power is within us. Do you realize, according to Romans 8, 11, that you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you? I mean, let that soak in. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you if you're a born-again believer this morning. Look it up yourself, Romans 8, 11, if you're a note taker. Stop living a bankrupt life. You've been blessed. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been forgiven. You've been made joint heirs with Christ. You've been given an inheritance. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is a guarantee of your salvation. I literally could ramble off for 20 minutes straight everything that Jesus has done for you. Stop living a bankrupt life and get into the game. He's inviting you. He's inviting you into a a relationship like you've never experienced in your life. He's saying, come, follow me, and watch what I do in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray together.